Hey, Sean, happy Fast X release. Happy Fast X release. I'm going to celebrate with my family. With my family. It's all about family. family. Apparently, Vin Diesel is all about family on the set, too, like in real life. Alan Richson or what? Richens, Richard, Richson. Richson. Just posted a, a thing the other day about how, like, his kids and his wife travel with them when they're filming. Um, so, like, they were in a hotel and they homeschool their kids. And so it gets a little weird and they don't always have, like, a good community. But uh, when Vin Diesel's wife and kids would be coming to set, they would, or in the area, they would let Alan uh, and his wife know and they would bring the family over oh. and all that. It was really cool. It's like something different. It's nice to hear that stuff about Vin Diesel. I, I have trouble just seeing Alan Richardson as any kind of human because he's just so gigantic and he's, he's just huge. He gained more weight. <laughs> like, he just keeps he, getting bigger. Like, I don't get what it. What is happening with him? I, I said this before, but do you know where he, uh, one of his first, one of his starts, what role it was? Oh, no, I don't. I should. Oh, wait, Blue Mountain State. That yes, but he also played Aquaman on Smallville. Oh God, really? <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's awesome. Um, so anyway, enough of that. Let's dive into it. Hayden. Everyone is part of the family at this point. It didn't be my fan fiction idea that I had. So this movie was garbage. <laughs> you are a monster beyond all belief. Put them all in the thing and let them do the thing. You know what I mean? How? You're lucky to have me back. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to get 60 million people because you're not a Super Bowl. Shut up. So chaotic. Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast. I am Joe. He is Sean. This is episode 145. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. I realize that when we talk about, you know, ourselves and how we're doing, it's either we're tired or something about our dogs. It's true. And both of those things were the case. This weekend, my uh, family's dog uh, came over as well. Poor little Tessie, who's, you know, 10 years old, just this geriatric black lab that has to deal with Scooter. And uh, so as like, you know, Tessie's throwing up and Scooter's pooping downstairs, I was very happy to have the podcast delayed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on uh, at I that just, house, it sounds like. <laughs> I just, I was like, boy, if he contacts me right now to get started, I am not going to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Cal was a little crazy today. We, uh, the painters were here, or the painter was here, and I was not taking Cal out of the crate. I had run out and done some errands and stuff like that. Um, and when I came back, I was sitting here just not wanting to take him out while they were still finishing up. And he knew I was here. And when oh, I yeah. tell you that he let out like a guttural, like, it is insane when they know you're here too. And they just yeah. know anything that creates like, nope, not having it. Not it was pretty okay insane. <laughs> oh, well, we are both here as is the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon. Let's talk about this uh, epic as they're referring to it out of Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> um, and we have to talk about some of the performances, specifically Lily Goldstone and what uh, is coming out about her. Uh, but Killers of the Flower Moon, we got the first trailer for Scorsese's Leonardo DiCaprio-led uh, Lily Glad- Gladstone, right? That's Gladstone, yeah. yeah. Lily Gladstone uh, co-starring uh, Robert De Niro. We have, um, I almost said, the, we have The Whale. Um, no, we have <laughs> Brendan Fraser, a whole bunch of people in this movie, um, Jesse Plemons. What was your what were your initial reactions with this? I mean, I loved this trailer. It was yeah. so artfully designed. Um, I you know, I get your I saw your criticisms on Instagram of it not showing enough. Totally get that. Like you don't we really don't know what this is about at all. Yeah, we can kind of get the uh, general tone down. Um, but it was just so beautifully done and so intense in the way it was structured. And I like when people pay close attention to a trailer design. Yeah. And make it their own, and make it what the like tone of the movie is going to probably be. And I love that part of it. Um, the, yeah, they they did great with the cast. It's going to be interesting because I know that weirdly, I thought Plemons was a lead, and you only see him in like one shot. And they're really leaning heavy on DiCaprio and De Niro, which you know I heard they're like I don't think anyone's really a like fleeting supporting character in a four hour movie. But um, I, I I do know that it's like mainly uh, Plemons. And I heard that Lily uh, Gladstone, the big controversy is going to be whether she goes lead or supporting, which that's just going to be a whole nother mess. And, you know, let's, I, I just don't yeah, want to think yet. about that. Yeah. Like, we're not there that's, yet. that's there now, like that little uh, debate. So I'm like, Oh God, I don't want to deal with that. So I did a deep dive into the story behind this. I haven't read the book that it's based on, but essentially um, the Osage Indians, what this, the indigenous people of Osage, what was happening. Um, it all had to do with oil back in the day when we were switching from 
um, you know, horse and buggy to actual cars and the oil boom was coming and people wanted to get their, their hands on that. Um, I believe if I have the story right, Leo and Lily's characters are married. Essentially okay. what happened at the time was like white men were put in charge of like, so like the women of Osage had the money essentially and the wealth, but the men were kind of like the white overseers in a way. And I know Robert De Niro plays uh William Hale, who apparently is like, you're, he's a friend of of the Osage until he's not. So it's it's interesting. I I don't I didn't go too deep. I just like kind of looked at the you know the borders of this story because I wanted to know like what we're dealing with here. But it has like a true crime epic feel that I can't wait for now. I mean, it's just Scorsese just knows how to work with this natural imagery. Um, and you see it through there. And I mean, you know, every one, every dollar of those $300 million is being poured into this with the, like the set design where I think they just made an entire like periodic world. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just like, then you start to wonder like, what is actually a movie anymore? If they're just like making the entire world, but I'm okay with it. It looks so intricate. It looks so well designed. Um, I'll be okay with uh, sitting in a theater for three and a half hours. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. Apparently, uh, Scorsese, when he read the book, he was like, I need to make this into a movie. And he sat with the leader of the Osage to get them to help out with uh, with the film and to like help them with the authenticity of it and everything for hours to convince them. Yeah. And they finally convinced them. So I'm excited for that. That's it. It looks it looks great. It looks great. I mean, Scorsese just recently he made out like I think it's go it's been circling around a lot, but an absolutely heartbreaking interview where he's like, I think I'm, I'm towards the end of my time as a filmmaker. And I just, I have so many more stories to tell. So, you know, he's not announcing this is his last film, but, you know, people are saying like, hey, if he stops after this, we're all good. Like, yeah. like yeah. that good. So I think that, uh, you know, whatever his finality is, and if he stopped at The Irishman, he'd be all good. I thought that was a great movie too. Um, so, you know, if he just keeps on going with this, uh, just letting letting streamers dump money, into, <laughs> just like robbing Smart them <laughs> and making beautiful movies. It's like, all right, dude, sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, very smart man there. Um, it as of I think it was yesterday I shared it with you. There's it was a 96 percent on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, and it's, I mean, hey, that's about as good as you can get on Rotten Tomatoes. Like that, you're in top tier there. Yeah. Let's talk about the other a trailer. One of the other trailers that we got this week. This was a uh, surprising drop for me. It's from Gareth Edwards, and it's the creator starring John David Washington. Also has Gemma Chan in there, Allison Janney. I thought I saw her in that trailer. I was like. Is that with the short hair, right? I couldn't figure out anyone in this trailer except for John David Washington. <laughs> I think I saw Ken Watanabe in there, which makes sense because it ties in with Gareth Edwards. Yes. Um, he is in this. Who else did I think I saw in there that I don't think was in there? Um, I thought I saw uh, Riz Ahmed, but I wasn't sure. Uh, I'm not seeing him pop up on the yeah, list here. It doesn't that might not have been. It was very brief. Um, but yeah, he would be high up there. Um, God, did this look great. Oh, my God. <laughs> Original, an original sci-fi story about like where AI basically takes over, drops a nuclear weapon on Los Angeles, and chaos ensues. It's uh, so it's so I'm funny not. because it is an original story. It's an original work, but it's like shit we've seen before. Like you know, someone who needs to help win the war realizes the weapon is like a small child, an innocent person, so he absconds with that child. And I'm like, this is just Wolf and Cub again. But I'm just like so interested in seeing it in this setting that I don't yeah. even mind that the strings look familiar. The roots look familiar on this because I'm just so I'm dazzled by the effects. I, I love something that, you know, obviously has heavy visual effects, but does ground it in a good like sort of reality that I'm like, all right, bring it on. I sci-fi can get away with, uh, you know, yeah. going back to the well for me a lot because oh, yeah. there's just a lot of, or a lack of, I should say original sci-fi out there. So you know, original looks, original uh, pacing, original storytelling. And I'm excited for this because it looks really solid and be, excuse me, beautiful. Um, and, you know, again, we need more of this. It's Gareth Edwards uh, coming off of Rogue One. He hasn't done anything since Rogue One. I didn't realize that. that's actually fascinating. That, right. Uh, but it is interesting because he, you know, he did that, the, um, the Godzilla reboot basically, mm -hmm. and then Rogue One. And, um, I mean, he's good at that, like, grit with uh, sci-fi. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I love the grit mix with sci-fi. I love dirty sci-fi, basically, where it's just, like, everyone's dirty. It's a tough, like, future. But it's still beautiful looking, like, whatever that Elysium type of spacecraft is up there. I was like, I'm in. Like, let's do it. It's giving me real um, uh, District 9 feels. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of I walked away from from it thinking that, and I'm like, mm, okay, well, <laughs> uh, don't love that, but. Oh, you didn't like District Nine? I did not. I it's District oh. Nine. I need to revisit. I I remember not liking it when I first saw it. I, I remember not liking anything else that dude did since District Nine. <laughs> so, so that, that was a tough belt. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, this is co-written with one of the writers from Rogue One, Chris Whites. So it's Gareth That's Edwards good. and Chris Whites. So interesting there. Interesting there. All right. Before we started recording, we got the trailer for The Color Purple. Uh, coming back to the big screen, musical adaptation, it looks like. And man, this damn cast. Holy hell. Um, you have Halle Bailey, you have Taraji P. Henson, Coleman Domingo, Anjanu Ellis-Taylor, Corey Hawkins, Danielle Brooks, David Allen Greer. I'm forgetting some. Sierra's in this. Her is in this. Fantasia Barino's in yeah. this. Um, she got the end credit at the end. Did you see that? She got and the end. I love that. Because they kept on, because I was wondering, I said to, I, I was saying to myself while watching this trailer, I was like, I don't feel like looking this up on IMDb. They better tell me who's who. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> and, and then they do that like lineup of every person. And I love that Coleman Domingo is playing the um, Mister. Uh, uh, yeah, but, like that's such a good casting for that. And so I mean, I'm rooting for him to like kind of get that Oscar nom for the other Netflix film, uh, Rustin. Um, okay. And I'm like, I hope this guy like you know builds the fame and says, hey, he's having a great year. Let's get him that nomination. Let's go. Could be. This is hitting theaters on Christmas Day. Um, the storyline here, for those who aren't familiar with the original story, I'll just read it real quick. Uh, Celia is a young, poor, educated, uh, uneducated, 14-year-old African-American teenager girl living in the southern United States in the early 1900s. She writes letters to God because her father, Alfonso, beats and rapes her. Alfonso has, al- well, trigger warning, I should have said. Uh, Alfonso has already impregnated Celia once, which resulted in the birth of a boy, Adam, whom Alfonso abducted. Celia believes that Alfonso killed Adam. Silly then has a second child, and Silly's ailing mother dies after cursing Silly on her deathbed. The second child is a girl named. This does not sound like the plot I know. That's all what you. I think what you described is like all stuff that happens in like the first two minutes of the movie. Why is this so like? I don't know where like because that that is actually like because Celia yeah that's like the like the origin story for I guess that's what wow that's it like that, that's like in the narration. It's really weird that that's the summary provided on IMDb, so I'm not going to go by that. Essentially, it's a musical adaptation of the original novel about the lifelong struggles of an African-American woman living in the South during the early 1900s. I mean, I I encourage people to still look at the movie. Um, You know, I guess we get a little bit wishy-washy about directed by Spielberg when it's like, you know, the experience of African-American women. It's like Spielberg, but it's still just that good that it's like worth seeing and was like a beautiful movie and very well done. An amazing, amazing performance from Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Um, and I really like, I loved that movie. I only recently saw it a few years ago. Um, I'm really rooting for like Danielle Brooks, who was in the original uh, show as well, to maybe get like just some awards buzz. Like I'd love a nomination. Um, I don't know what this movie is going to be in terms of awards. It seems like it's, it, it's up there. It's up there with like, you know, it's in the gold derby lists and everything. So it's around, it's like floating around there, but. I just love this. Like, I just love the look of it. It's a good musical trailer. I've never seen the actual Broadway musical, but the fact that it's coming from that is just, I'm ready to see this. I'm excited. It got, I, I told you, I started like inexplicably crying. <laughs> I was like, Oh, why am I tearing up at this? Um, it's just beautifully done. So uh, good on them. I'm excited for this one. It hits at Christmas time. We're getting that Christmas musical. I, I squealed when I saw Halle Bailey. I didn't know she was in this. I, well, so I, I was just like, okay, like cool. The, so she's sticking in the career. The first couple scenes, I was like, is that Halle Bailey? I was I like, and, I, I knew, I was like, she looked familiar. I couldn't get it down though. And then I was like, look at them dropping that on Little Mermaid Week. <laughs> Nice. They know what they're doing. Nice. They know what they're doing. It's like they get paid for this or something. <laughs> um, Sean, let's talk about what we've been watching, more specifically what you've been watching, because as of this day, I have still not seen a Fast and Furious film. Hit us with Fast X. <laughs> I think we we promised, or you know, soft promised that we would have a series of the Fast and the Furious films. <laughs> I think we can still do it. I mean, obviously, because there's going to be 20 more of them. Um, I think we can still like have that. I think that would be a golden series. Um, friend of the pod, Kevin. These are you know his favorite types of movies for some reason. He loves oh, these I know. movies more than he's anything. been in my DMs about okay. these he's, movies. Trust me, he talks to me him. about this too. Like he's like he always starts a fight with me. I'm like Kevin, we're just on different sides of the tracks on this one. <laughs> but I th- there's something about this movie and these movies lately where they are just impenetrable to criticism. 
Because, like, what are you going to say? Oh, Vin Diesel's bad at acting. He is, but, like, what <laughs> Like what, what? do you expect on that? Like, oh, the effects are bad. There's a lack of believability. It's very um, cliche. Yeah, all that stuff is true. But it's just this is so still so goddamn entertaining and so fun. If you just simply look at it as a cartoon, and I mean, like, pretty much almost looking completely like a cartoon, like when he's driving down Hoover Dam and uh, he in like ignites the nitrous throughout the car while there's like ex- flames from an explosion coming back inside the car. And, you know, you just sort of say, OK, I'm thrilled at what I'm watching. It's beyond fake looking. It's beyond dumb. <laughs> but I'm still enjoying this. I mean, it's a movie to see in theaters. It was a semi-packed theater. And pe- like I was the only one giggling at certain parts, and I felt bad because I feel like I was you know, like giggling at the wrong times. <laughs> but it's just one of those movies or this series of movies where I really do throw away my rubric for like judging a movie. And I say, okay, so I have to be entertained. I think of... Um, uh, Alonzo Harris in Training Day when he talks about a newspaper. Um, and he says, this is a newspaper. It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. And it's like, that's how you got to look at this, man. <laughs> like, you're at the diner, and Ethan Hawke's trying to talk to you, and you're just trying to watch Fast and the Furious. And, oh, God, I really just think these movies, I gave this one a C. I gave the last one a C. It's kind of because I don't know what to do with them. Because <laughs> they're bad. They're, 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 they are, like, textbook bad. <laughs> But they're so much fun. And so I think that there's something to them where, okay, you know what? Yes, they're like, if I was really going to like strongly critique this, I'd have certain elements to say about it. But in, in general, I, I'm there to have a good time. And it's one of the few where I do the it is what it is type or it knows what it is. I hate that critic uh, criticism. I do not like that. But in this case, you just have to go with that because I can't like look at this and be like, the cinematography was actually quite poor. <laughs> the characterization of each of these people there's there's a million people in this and i mean alan richardson who actually is kind of dope in this (laughs) like i think it's just because i like love to see that guy because he's just such a charming gentleman (laughs) where um but yeah the new people coming in are good you know the old the the old cast members they're bringing what they always bring which is both a good and a bad thing in terms this movie distracts itself from some of its humor i think the ludicrous and um Tyrese Gibson stuff is just getting old now, like that, those two arguing. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's <laughs> like turn your brain all the way off um, and just sort of like this is how I'm going to look at Transformers Rise of the Beast when that comes out. It's going to be like I'm going to just turn on the lizard brain and just be like robots fighting. And this was just like, you know, dog drives car fast. And I just <laughs> need to like just go with that robotic thinking for these because there's no other way to really handle this. Oh, boy. Is there still gas in the tank for two more films as expected? Well, this one... Okay, so there's ending on a cliffhanger, Mm -hmm. and then there's ending in the middle of the final action sequence. (laughs) This one ends, not kidding you, in the middle of the final action sequence where you quote-unquote wonder if Vin Diesel's going to (laughs) die. Going to make for a challenging trailer on that next one. Because like, I don't know. It's like, do they just not show him? Or do they go in seriously War where they like pretend that like those people are technically dead? Like, even though there's a movie coming out on one of them. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm always very, very confused by that. Is there more gas in the tank? I mean, this one did pretty solid at the box office. It did way better internationally, of course. Absolutely. Um, which is actually what it needed to do. I heard about this. It's like, it actually needed to do better internationally than the last two have. And so the fact that it did do better internationally and only did okay domestically is kind of a victory for this movie. And I think there'll be two more at least. I mean, I think you can do it. I mean, but it's going to be tough to keep on going because I love that some people, I mean, I, (laughs) if you really just want to watch someone lose their shit, go to the big picture podcast where Sean Fennessy just describe that this is the death of movies. There's no longer <laughs> movies after this. So there's that level of people. And then there's the people that are just like, this is awesome and kind of fun. But I, I think you just have to go somewhere in the middle with these movies. You have to just like really say they're that dumb. And I'll be curious if we ever do the Fast and the Furious series, like where you go from the 2001 point break street racing only with cars to going to space in F9. <laughs> I think that's just like knowing what I know about them and not having seen any of the films. I'm, you know, that I'm all about dumb movies. I love yeah. shutting my brain off and going for them. But at this point, where we're at ten, 
and I know like the first couple, there's I, there's some gems in there. Fast Five seems to be one that people absolutely love. Mm -hmm. uh, Fast, the Fast and the Furious, the first one was great by all means, uh, based on what I understand from people. Um, and there's some others. I think Tokyo Drift is starting to get has started yeah, to get starting some to get like get a lot of hype coming. Yeah, to it. and even Too Fast, Too Furious, which was you know on cable 17 times every day when I was like you know <laughs> at that time where you were at home and you couldn't do anything, but like right. you, so you just watched Fat, Too Fast, Too Furious a million times. <laughs> Yeah, I just I I guess I'm a little over uh, ten. Well, let's say out of that, we just named three of them that might be good. Seven dumb movies in a series. Yeah, let's add in Hobbs and Shaw. We're at eight. Let's add in that we're gonna get some spinoffs apparently that aren't Hobbs and Shaw, and one uh, at least one's gonna be female led. And then we're getting two more of these. And this was supposed to be the last one. Then they said there was going to be two. Then Vin Diesel said that the studio saw Fast 10 and said, think he can eke out another. So now they're making it a final trilogy. Now you have, spoiler alert, the return of The Rock in the post credit scene. Yep. And like <laughs> we're probably going to get Hobbs and Shaw 2 or something. He crushes an iPhone. Not kidding you. He's holding an iPhone. It's like, good luck. We're going to find you. He holds it and then crushes the iPhone. It's it's real. Like, That's and this Black is, Adam training. This is from like <laughs> Furious Seven, where he like was sidelined the whole movie and had a cast on, and he flexes the cast yeah, off, and it pops <laughs> off. Like, <laughs> like what? Like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna say, "Hey, that wasn't believable"? There's just nothing I can really pull off here that uh, goes. There. I I haven't mentioned him yet, but he was the best part of this movie, and it's Jason Momoa, who you know some have accused of <laughs> queer baiting in this, but I think he's just showing off like. A feminine nature to this uh villain and it's really good like he's just absolutely hamming it up he's the only one that knows what type of movie he's in like vin <laughs> diesel meanwhile is like uh pulling tweezers out of his eyes to get a tear to come completely unnaturally and but like you know jason momoa is like really good formidable and also is just like absolutely like jack sparrowing it his costumes are amazing in this like it's, i've it's, seen some uh, pictures and i'm like ooh. <laughs> Pretty one, like there's a moment where it's in the trailer where like um he's be uh there's a bunch of people behind him pointing guns at Vin Diesel and he kind of like rests his arms on the guns and just sort of looks back at that. and I was like like brilliant like he's just like making yeah. choices that are just so great and so he's gonna be the villain in the next few um and I'm ready like he's kind of being the God help me for saying this he's kind of like the Thanos of this like <laughs> <laughs> no I knew you were going there. <laughs> This is it's bonkers. It's bonkers. It's fun. It's one of the few where I just won't take movies seriously. I'll I'll criticize other movies when they come by. I'll I'll be harsher on them, but this one I can't. I can't do it. Uh, I still have zero interest in seeing this. Um, but I will tell you that uh someone on Twitter reached out when I said that I didn't um that I hadn't seen uh any of the Fast and Furiouses. Uh, I like to movie movie podcast with Dan Scully uh, and has asked if I would be interested in watching the first one. Let me see. Oh, no. Just watch the first movie and the most recent one. Would you be willing to do this experiment and then chat about it? And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You should absolutely <laughs> do that. That's going to be just fascinating. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Well, let's get into the news here. Uh, we have actually some real interesting news this week, but let's start off with the latest update uh, between the uh, slugfest of Disney and uh, Ron DeSantis. Um, they're not directly saying that Disney made this move because of it, but like, hello, let's let's talk about uh, the reality here of what they're doing with the nice state. Um, Disney originally was planning on building a uh, one billion dollar. I think it was like one point three billion dollar campus in orlando and moving 2,000 jobs white collar jobs from california to florida to orlando um obviously a campus like that creates more opportunity more jobs more you know revenue for the area all of that stuff um i think it was 1,000 employees were going to be relocated 2,000 jobs to the region in general um but anyway, they canceled that. They said, nope, we're not doing that. Uh, we're no longer doing. We're moving forward with this. It was supposed to be 60 acres uh, on Lake Nona, I believe it was. It was called the Lake Nona Project. Um, and yeah, they just said, we're not doing this. Um, and that, to me, is so fascinating because, you know, business has also changed since they first announced this. I think it was 2001 it was announced. Um, but still, I mean, 2021, sorry. Um, but, yeah, long time. Uh, but but still, I mean, there's uh, it might be a sign of the ongoing battle over 
the response to the LGBTQ uh, don't say gay bill a couple of years or last year, I guess it was. Um, and Bob Iger's willingness to just say like, yo, do you want us to invest in your state or not? I think it's even um, DeSantis is making it difficult for Disney to have business where like before this, he even said he was going to get rid of like tax exemption and uh, like for Disney and stuff. So, you know, this isn't just like this has happened before where all star games have been moved from cities making controversial, absolutely passing controversial bills. But this isn't even on like principle. I mean, I, I think some of it could be principle, but some of it is just you're making our business tough for us here because of this culture war. Yeah. And therefore we will leave. And there's nothing that really benefits DeSantis here. I mean, it's going to really affect his state. And so that's part of like the largest problem I see here is like, it's like, ah, yeah, but they had that gay character in that Pixar film. Now they're going away. It's like, dude, okay, now like the tax dollars are going to go up for your state. I mean, buddy, this doesn't help your state at all. Like, you know, I guess he, and he's a guy that's like primarily going on car, culture wars. And so, you know, yeah, hoorah for you, man. You took a stand. It's not going to help anyone financially. Yeah, it's hurting. And in the end, state. that's what people are going to care about. Now, will people actually like put those two things together um, and like connect those dots? Uh, listen, Disney adults, are, so. <laughs> Disney adults are fucking nuts. We're a fucking weird breed. So uh, here's what I'll say. If after the 2024 primary and DeSantis potentially is defeated, we find out that Disney adults organized against him and were a major mover or were major movers in this, I will absolutely love it. And that will be such an inflection in our democracy. <laughs> when there is finally um, a, no longer a two-party system and the third party is Disney, Disney adults, <laughs> who, who, is the, who is the first candidate you have for the Disney adults party? Oh geez, the first, that's that's really interesting. I don't know, probably someone from Disney Channel. <laughs> I was gonna say like someone who's Miley like, Cyrus or yeah, someone Adam, who's still plugged in but has graduated from the Disney Channel uh, era. Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> I mean, what's what's her actual name? I don't even know. It's Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> no, no, dude, dude, <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> no, I'm completely forgetting her name though. As you said that, I'm. S- Oh my God, we are the worst. Is she in How I Met Your Father though? Right? He is in How Hillary Duff. Oh my Hillary God, Duff. We are the Jeez. worst. He's got the sister, and like I, I was like, ah, oh, the sister. Yeah, I really nailing this. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap! What's the best Disney Channel original movie? Oh, oh, oh! Come on, I Come always on. have one. I think I gotta go Johnny Tsunami. Interesting choice. Now I don't have them in front of me. That's a big thing to keep in mind. I do not have them in front of me, but. I feel like Johnny Tsunami was like a pretty solid classic. What do you have? Smart House. Smart House was good. One thousand percent Smart House. Very good. Um, Peg Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to uh, the next story here, which is about a follow-up to a big blockbuster, Bullet Train. We're getting Bullet Train too, according to Giant Freaking Robot. Uh, and Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock are both returning with Margot Robbie reportedly in talks to join the cast as well. Uh, who knows where this will go, what will happen. I just assume they all end up on another train. Uh, but uh, I did not love the first one. And so I, you know, this is fine. Uh, I think it kind of scratches that action itch. Uh, and we'll do probably do well in theaters. But I don't know. I'm just not really that interested in this. I think my problem with this movie was that I really loved some of the stories and I just wanted to see them. Like I wanted to just see Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson in just yeah. a movie. So honestly, it doesn't seem like this is what they're going to be doing with it, but like have just the two of them in a movie. Maybe obviously it'll have to be a prequel. Um, but I would love to see like a movie with just them or a movie with just Brad Pitt at first. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that they were all together, the stories just felt unrealized. Um, you know, you can make something interesting with this. Let's face it. Um, like, yeah, you bring on a whole new cast with like Sandra Bullock and uh, uh, Brad Pitt in the center. And then this becomes like a knives out sort of situation, which, you know, could be bad, could be good. But, you know, if you have that same structure of another giant cast with a bunch of people, <laughs> basically knives out or white Lotus, where it's like, yeah, oh, where are they going to be next? <laughs> like, you know, just an Excella from uh, Connecticut to DC. <laughs> It'll be nice to actually. It'll be nice to actually see Sandra Bullock in this movie after she was in like three seconds of the last one. Well, it's just so so damn odd because you could tell throughout that entire movie they were trying to keep Bullock's identity a secret, but she was in trailers and she was like advertised being in it the entire time that movie was being created. But you could tell that they wanted it to be a big reveal. 
And it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it was strange. Well, it also was an issue because uh, there's a lot of reporting on it ahead of time because Lady Gaga mm-hmm. was supposed to play that role. And oh. so when Lady Gaga bowed out of it, Sandra Bullock stepped in. And, you know, so it was well reported. People knew what was happening. <laughs> Stupid. It, yeah. I mean, like, I. <sighs> I was I remember I was way more excited for this when it was like coming out when well, I remember we like started the pod and I think it was one of like our first movie news stories and I was like hey this sounds pretty good yeah. great cast and everything and now I don't know man I mean uh, like cool let's do another one let's see action movies maybe do a better job with the story let's hope but we'll see <laughs> yeah tale is almost time there <laughs> yeah, like, oh I'm sure yeah sequels are always just much better yeah. they always top exactly they, t- they they learn lessons from the first. Uh, and make sure they don't repeat them in the second. <laughs> Maybe that will be true for uh, Chuatel Ejiofor, who is joining Venom 3, uh, probably as the villain, I assume. <laughs> uh, he's, he's I really thought that bad. immediately, yeah. But I, I, I did too. That's true, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little interested in how they're going to pull this, pull this together, because it is kind of weird when you have the same actor playing uh, different people. He's played Mar- uh, Baron Mordo in Doctor Strange yeah. and the Multiverse of Madness. And he was like going to be slated as the villain of Doctor Strange in the end of the first one. That obviously didn't come out, and instead they yeah. made him like a iteration of a multiverse thing, and so they kind of like tossed him aside there. So there's a chance they could just forget about that character completely. I would not be surprised about that. Yeah. Um, and then you know, of course, we have the issues of the fact that this this Venom is kind of in this Marvel universe, but also is in the one. With with Vulture and uh, uh, Jared Leto, um, whatever his name is, Mephisto. Um, what is his name? What is the name? What is what is the what is the Morbius? Je- Morbius, yes. Oh, I got the M. Um, so there's a chance that like you know that's something you can work with there. I mean, technically, Chris Evans is both Captain America and uh, Flame Guy. So um, I shouldn't be involved in comic book Flame news. guy. You should bring on someone else for comic book news because I obviously just ruin it with my bullshit things. Well, Flame let me guy. tell you, let me it's tell you what people think this is going to be about. Um, the working title is reportedly Orwell, and people are linking that to two characters in uh, the comic books, George Orwell or Orwell Taylor. Uh, so this is coming from the Cosmic Circus. Uh, the website, and they are saying George Orwell is an author best known for his works, um, Animal Farm and 1984, of course. So it could be something um, like that, where, like, you know, they're doing a strange, I don't know, strange story that's inspired by one of those. Um, but the comic relation is Orwell Taylor, who's an ex general of the United States Army, develops a heavy grudge against Venom, um, who he has two sons, becomes angry and slips into madness when Venom kills his son, Hugh. His mission in life is a secret revenge against Eddie Brock and the symbiote, but by any means possible. So I'm wondering if we'll see like that his son was killed in one of the previous movies and he's, you know, getting ready to go after him. But I don't know. It doesn't really interest me. (laughs) I I like him a lot and I like his ability to overact a lot. And so, and and by, by the way, I say overact in like the best of ways. His his Oscar nomination, 12 years a slave, he's reaching for the back row and he's doing an amazing job. Um, I, I love the idea of him like having a little bit of fun and like a goofy, you know, Marvel movie, even though he did that before this one, I like him hamming it up as a villain. Um, it will be interesting to see. I, you know, I, I'd say, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the Venom movies, but the yeah. best parts of all of them have been the villain. I mean, Riz Ahmed to Woody Harrelson to, um, to let's hope Chiwetelagio for Woody Harrelson was terrible. I don't know, man. I had some fun with him and like smiling in that prison cell. And that was off. so bad. I mean, like. Most things were bad in that, but... Uh... <laughs> oh my god, that was so bad. Um, Sean, what do you know about Echo? Uh, I know that uh, I sometimes have it on this podcast when I don't put my mic in properly. <laughs> there we go. That rebounded. There it is. We're doing good. We're making stuff here. This is content, buddy. Content. I was going to go the Echo the Dolphin route from Sega Genesis, but um, like I know what the hell that any of that is. Oh, you didn't play video games. I didn't play video games. My parents probably heard one article that said video games might be bad. And they're like, okay, and then they now I can't play video games. And this is why you listen to every podcast, you watch every TV show. Yeah, for some reason movie. that whole like you know really <laughs> worked out for you. Really helped. <laughs> 
really dodged that bullet. I'm definitely not in front of his screen over 11 hours a day. <laughs> All right. Well, Echo is uh, upcoming series that is coming from Marvel will be hitting Disney Plus. It was a spinoff or is a spinoff of uh, the Hawkeye series. Um, Echo was a really, really neat character, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, hopefully I don't butcher this name. Aliqua Cox uh, is uh, reprising her role as Maya Lopez. Um, what's really neat about this is it's a deaf character. So like that was so she was really cool in that in that show. Um, which again, that's one of my favorite Marvel shows that came out, and I was so surprised by it being up there. Um, she's the adoptive daughter of Kingpin, so there will be ties, of course, to uh, what happens in Daredevil: Born Again. I'm sure at the end, the last time we saw her, didn't she shoot Kingpin at the end of? daredevil i mean the end of hawkeye <laughs> the end of hawkeye was such a cotton candy like sugar dripping mess that i cannot remember what happened at the end okay of it. now you're just being rude uh, but anyway I, I liked it too but i'm just saying the end of that was just an absolute clusterfuck <laughs> well talk let's let's talk about a clusterfuck here because according yep. to uh the hot mic podcast jeff snyder uh jeff snyder has a lot of good takes a lot of good insights uh and connections usually on um coming across on twitter i think it's uh the in schneider schneider is his uh account but uh basically this is his quote i heard the show was kind of played by issues throughout production i heard that it was a mess and that the show came in so bad that they basically had to reshoot the entire thing i'm told that they originally shot eight episodes and kevin feige thought it was unreleasable so they talked about cutting it down to four episodes or six in post, but then they ended up reshooting it. So my source did not actually have, know how many episodes they wound up with, but yeah, apparently it needed a top-down rejiggering and that Kevin was not happy with it. I get a little bit wary of what that quote was with a lot of I'm told, I heard, and my source without saying stuff, but I, That's like, it's fine. Hello, it's journalism. <laughs> Smoke, there's fire, I get it, but... <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, this makes sense to me. And I think it's really because they're saying Marvel needs a win. They're, ha- they're putting a lot of stock in Secret Invasion right now. A lot of stock. Um, you know, they did a lot of reshoots on uh, Miss Mar- uh, excuse me, The Marvels, which I think was the right call. And is also something that's not terribly, like, uncommon. No, like, especially but, for Marvel. You know, but of course, like, it's making news now because Marvel's, like, you know, on a nosedive almost, uh, with the exception of Guardians, which, you know, you could put on the sidecar because it's a little bit different than everything else. Um, but I, you know, I, I think, the, you know, Feige was really nervous about this. And he's like, okay, this kind of needs to be perfect. And a lot of projects need to be perfect because we need to change the narrative about the studio. So I think he wanted perfection out of this, which, you know what? Cool. Um, I mean, granted that we're going to get more stories about how vfx workers were just like locked in cages and like you know given like monster intravenously to finish this thing um (laughs) so so we know that there's some there's going to be some dark dark underpinnings here but for the studio (laughs) they all just say for the studio they go for the studio (laughs) um i yeah i I'm, I mean, I'm still looking forward to this. Like, I like the idea that this is going to be, you know, as I said about VFX just now, but I think it's going to be more of a practical effect, martial arts stunt kind of stuff yeah. where this could be a lot of fun. This could be really cool. This could be very uh, gritty. I was looking forward to this. And I mean, hey, if they're reshooting everything to make it right, I mean, let's hope that's a good sign. Um, you know, I, obviously sometimes development hell means bad things, but I'm hoping good things here. I'm looking forward to it. I just also feel like this is an example of a bad dis- business decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think <laughs> it needed its, old se- its own series. I think they could have continued to highlight the character. This is something that Marvel's going to sh- continue to struggle with is taking minor characters that people are very interested in and overblowing them and getting them like, you know, main character, giving them main character energy when they're not main character energy. They're meant to be supporting characters. And I think Echo is an example of that. They're also dropping all the episodes all on one day, which makes me very nervous about that. So either they're testing out a new strategy or they're just like, burn it. Yeah, it could be either one of those. I Yeah, I will say that like your comment about like, you know, side characters getting their own shows and stuff is completely true. And I think that this will be the last of those that we see because they, they this was like probably announced like in like the you know the Marvel heyday where everyone was just watching whatever they wanted on Disney Plus because we were all inside. Right, exactly. And so now they're just like, all right, yeah, we can't do this anymore. So this might be like them cutting it off. I mean, we, we think about the Marvel projects coming out. 
there's not a lot coming out right now. I think they're going to be doing a bit of a slow and that's the right thing to do. I think just like, you know, recuperate, um, you know, change, change the villain, uh, and, uh, like, you know, go through a little bit of a uh, rebrand, if you will. I wonder who's going to be the first to write the book on the reset that had to happen after, after COVID when it comes to streaming, because there's such an interesting focus there was an interesting focus and a heavy focus on streaming that got accelerated when covid hit because people were at home that what the realities of that time and what worked at that time were not sustainable and have not been sustainable and we're seeing resets in all of the across all of the uh different streamers i mean you look at max coming out with combining hbo max and discovery plus um yes that's part of the uh, the merger, but it's also a result of not wanting to put too much out there, too many trying to get people to sign up to too many things um, under the same umbrella. You're also seeing that with Disney Plus and Hulu going to be offered together. You're seeing them pulling a lot of content off of Disney Plus because when everything's at your fingertips for a low, low price of however much it is, I don't even know anymore. Um, you know, your other media, physical media, if it's out there for certain projects, um, you're not you're not continuing to get that money. You're not continuing to get that shit. So yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to analyze the resets and the lessons learned from this time of coming out of COVID, people going back to work, viewing habits changing again, um, and then to see, maybe we're a few years away from this analysis, yeah. seeing if they, if they can rebound and if that reset is successful and what that looks like. Well, I think the end of the book is however they settle this writer's strike, because that is what this writer's strike is about. Sure, it's about AI. There's a few other things about it, but it's mainly just about how, like, you know, streaming is has like completely reshaped this whole system and no one really acknowledged it. No one, no one in high office has really acknowledged that streaming is now a huge deal. So, you know, I, I bet there's a lot of people that have their index cards all over the walls, right? And getting those outlines ready, but they have a giant wall empty being like, okay, this will be the last act <laughs> yeah, in the next couple next. of years. <laughs> oh man. No sign of ending at this point, that writer strike. Oh God. Ugh. Final story for today is in regards to Gladiator 2. And this is very depressing news. Mm -hmm. um, Barry Keoghan is leaving, Keoghan is leaving Ridley Scott's Gladiator sequel. Uh, due to scheduling conflicts, which really sucks because he's been like in the gym on social media, like working out and stuff. Like, what was the scheduling conflict? I want to know the details of this. And how did you not, number one, see it coming? Number two, fix it uh, to keep him in there. But the uh, Fred Heckinger from the White Lotus is reportedly taking over the role, uh, which is an interesting swap to me. Uh, and then elsewhere, elsewhere, other in other news about the movie, uh, May Kalamawa, Kalamawai? Kalamawai? Oh, I had it. I had it in uh -huh. my head, but uh, uh -huh. then I mm -hmm. didn't have it. Yeah. yeah. Um, from Moon, Flame best Bay. known from Moon Knight, uh, is joining the cast as well. Uh, so that's exciting. That is pretty good. I mean, I, yeah, I feel so bad for Fred Eckinger because he's just like, everyone was so excited about Barry Keoghan. And he has to now show up and he's like, hey, what's up, guys? Um, but. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, you know seeing what Barry can do, seeing what he can do. I, I I hope he I hope he also knocks it out of the park. That was my main thing. Is like I was so upset about that news, and then I just realized to myself, I was like, oh, the whole internet's probably pissed, and this poor friend guy's just like, hey, like, what's up? I got a job, guys. <laughs> I got a job. I got a job in Gladiator Two. Then he opens up the internet. He's like, oh no. <laughs> so so I hope he does well. I'm rooting for him. Uh, I'm trying to look up who he was in the White Lotus and. Uh, Oh yes, okay, yeah, the older brother, um, Steve Zahn's son. That, yeah, that'll be fun. I think that'll be a cool uh, little role. Um, I, cool I think little this role. Is, <laughs> this is a uh, this is a lesson for us. You know, this was set. This was like not rumored that Barry Keoghan was going to be there. But also, things do change all the way up until filming, even after filming. Sometimes, just ask Eric Stoltz. And so, I know that like that's it's it's tough. So. We just have to remember that this kind of stuff happens. So whenever we get excited about casting news, you know, just approach it with trepidation. And that's how I'm telling myself this more often than not, because I was just so goddamn excited. <laughs> now I feel like crap. Fred Heckinger was also he got a start in eighth grade, the movie Eighth Grade. Oh. Uh, and then was also in The Woman in the Window, if you remember that. Oh. Um, <laughs> news of News of the World. Oh. Uh, oh, it was in Italian Studies. I didn't love that movie, but that had Vanessa Kirby in it. Uh, the Fear Street movies um pam and tommy the pale blue eye oh this guy's and, been everywhere 
he is also in he's going to be playing chameleon uh the character chameleon in craven the hunter gladiator 2 and a bunch of other movies that i'm not familiar with so that's a lot this whoever this guy's agent is is doing great the amount of jobs he's getting for like you know the low amount of like name recognition he has that's goddamn impressive yeah so props to him then in that case if he's able to scoop up that many jobs without being a name that's you know what maybe he's gonna be amazing in this oscar nominee um okay you ready for this breaking news breaking news it regards Joaquin Phoenix. Oh. Um, Todd Haynes, filmmaker Todd Haynes. Oh, I saw this. Yes. Todd Haynes, this. known for Carol, Dark Waters, etc. I forgot he did Dark Waters. <laughs> is making a uh, NC-17 gay romance. And this is going to star, let me see. Uh, it's co-developed with Joaquin Phoenix. Based on some thoughts and ideas that Joaquin Phoenix took to Todd Haynes. We basically wrote with him as a story writer. Me and John Raymond and Joaquin share the story credit and we hope to be shooting at beginning early next year. It's a gay love story set in 1930s LA. Joaquin was pushing me further and going, no, let's go further. This will be an NC-17 film. Well, very rarely... Do people go for the NC-17 rating? You're normally stuck with the NC-17 rating. <laughs> so it's it's fascinating to go for that. Like that is meant to be, that rating is meant to be a punishment. <laughs> like it's meant to be like, because you are limited in promotion. You're limited in like, you know, where you can show it in theaters. So already right there, like just going for that. And this is from the thoughts of Joaquin Phoenix. I, I, I don't want to see his thoughts, man. I mean, can- uh, <laughs> Can, uh, maybe this is a uh, unpopular opinion. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is not good looking. <laughs> oh, so you're, and, you're worried about that? And and, th- and this is shallow of me. Let me put out there that they don't have to be good looking. Like you know, like I, I'm not a good looking person. That's why I'm single. No, Joe, um, <laughs> stop it. But no, you're a, but like, you're a great podcast podcast but, host. Oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> silver lining and everything um but i guess like i like i don't want to see joaquin phoenix in an nc-17 sexual movie with another dude yeah so then who's the audience i mean i guess those attracted to joaquin phoenix (laughs) i guess rooney mara (laughs) it's gonna be rooney mara in there (laughs) i don't know but i'm glad glad to see that it's getting that you know it's a it's a serious film that's um a story that's going to be told i'm interested to see what the interested to see what the point of it is what's the plot point that he is bringing that made him want to make this film um but oh boy what an interesting development here (laughs) interesting development all right let's get into rants and raves switching up a little bit this week uh we've decided to rant and rave both so we'll both have a rant and we will both have a rave why don't we start with rants let's start with rants my rant is about the Disney live action hate train. I understand that people are tired of the fact that the uh, the Mouse House is continuing to develop live action films based on their animated films. But this argument, this hate, is old now. We've been talking about this for fucking years, okay? it's It's been happening for years. We've had a ton of them. It's time to move on from that argument. The... The point of these is that they're they're going to make money because they're family films, right? So Disney knows that. They know that they have the IP recognition. They know that, especially when it comes to a movie like The Little Mermaid, the, the music and all that, it's just a charming story that people love. So they're going to make the money there. So it's not for, you know, the Sean Phillips and Joe Peltzer critics of the world. It's for me because I'm a Disney adult. Yeah, wait. <laughs> But in terms of like criticism and stuff, I mean, you know, like if you read my review, I gave it a four out of five. Very, I really enjoyed it. Had a great time. I have issues with it. I mean, number one, we're never going to be able to see. We're never going to see another underwater uh, film that meets the standards set by Avatar: The Way of Water. Right. So as soon as you recognize that and you know that you're back at like Aquaman standard from a couple years ago, um, you're playing with that. There's some overbloated stuff in here. Uh, but the rest of it is really, really entertaining. The The piece of this that also gets me is when, you know, okay, a lot of them are, a lot of the characters are animals from these films, right? So fucking Flounder 
in the animated film is a giant yellow like blimp of a of a, a fake fish and so they go like live action here could have gone much uglier by the way uh, with a flounder because they are oh, ugly yeah. shit way fish. uglier yeah really bad but people are like that's not my flounder that's terrible i hate this blah blah and then they change scuttle the bird from a seagull to a different type of bird so that it could go underwater more and interact with them like it was actually like logistically you know thought out and people are like losing their minds about that. And it's just like, okay, what do you want from these live action movies? If you don't want them, that's great. Fine. Move on from it. But when you're saying a live action film, by definition, you're going to get a live action fish, a live action crab. Sebastian in the actual animated film, his eyes were this damn big on top of his head, like Mantis in Guardians. They're obviously not going to get that, right? Crabs have smaller eyes, closer eyes, whatever. That's what you get in this. By the way, David Diggs kills it as Sebastian. He absolutely kills it. I was worried about it at first. He's phenomenal as Sebastian. Um, but I just like, I, it feels like even yesterday, reading some of the Twitter timeline, it was all about like, you know, Disney's pumping these out and forgetting about the charm of their animated. No, they're not. They're trying to make more money. They're a business. They're a company. They do this. They're trying to get you reinterested in the characters in a different a diff different mode, live action, which is then going to drive more product sales. It's then going to drive more streaming. It's then going to drive more visits to Disney World and Disneyland. You know, it's all part of their larger business. So when we accept that and recognize it, you know, we just spent how much time talking about Fast 10 saying it's a dumb fucking movie, okay? So if you're going to allow Fast 10 to exist, let's allow The Little Mermaid with Halle Bailey, who is also phenomenal, to exist. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I'm, I'm someone when it comes to the Disney uh, live action hate train, I'm someone that gets on at certain stops and then gets off at certain stops. So I'm, I'm a casual uh, train goer when it comes to uh, <laughs> like that, that, that hate train, yes. Um, so yeah, I, I think the problem is that people do understand that there are money grabs. And so I think people get a little bit cynical about like studios doing that when, you know, you have to realize that, like you said, movies are a business. And so, you know, so are movie studios and especially movie studios that have theme parks. They're all a business. So I get that. Um, I think like, you know, when it comes to the animals, I just don't want to see a live action animal have like a voice like that. That just is unsettling to me. I understand that that's the purpose of a live action movie. I'm just someone that loves these animated movies so much. And, you know, for the people that are like, oh, it's ruining the animated movie. No, it's not. It's a separate movie. That's the same thing. It's completely that's separate. The same people that say, like, you know, oh, this sequel ruined the original. No, it's not. The original is still there. Like, you don't – those two things don't correlate. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy this movie's doing well, by the way. Critically doing well. And so it's at 70% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. And I love that. I, like, when I saw that the actual reactions were good – I was like quite happy to see that. I was like, oh, good. Because I want to see, a, find out a movie's good. I want to be surprised by a movie instead of disappointed by a movie. But I mean, at first I was not feeling it. But also the the hate was insane. Like I was someone that watched the trailer and the nostalgia like moments in my brain were kicking in. And I was like, oh, lovely. I mean, then the bird talked and it freaked me out and the crab talked and it freaked me out. So like that's that's something I'm still having trouble getting over. I have not seen this movie yet. Um, but I, you know, they're, they're like, you know, Halle Bailey, like, you know, making the song her own. I'm, I'm here for that kind of stuff happening. So yeah, like I'm a little bit mixed on it. I haven't seen it yet. I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing it this Thursday. It'll be my Thursday movie, of course. And I'll be, I'll be curious to see what I think. I'm not, I'm definitely someone that is less hyped about these live action remakes, even though I know their purpose. I know what they're for, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. The double standards are really interesting though, because how to get away, how to get away with murder, how to train your dragon is getting a live action remake. And that announcement was met with like, you didn't know that. No, I knew that, but that announcement was met with vitriol. I, for oh, I people. thought people were like positive about it and stuff. Ooh. I mean, we we have we are we are by the way on very different corners of the internet. Usually, your your corner of the internet is full of more vitriol, so that's that's actually fascinating. But uh, no, what, from what I heard, people were really pissed about the How to Drain Your Dragon uh, remake, the live action remake. Yeah, I think people, uh, the animated, I'm sorry about the squeaking with Cal, by the way. He's getting less of this damn ball. <laughs> I think that what's interesting is that people that really love animated films are feeling slighted as though the live action is, like you said, to replace the animated film. And that's, yeah. it's not, it's to tell it in a different way. And I kind of, you know, I like it because for instance, with Peter Pan, how many times are you going to tell the Peter Pan story, right? We've already seen 17,000 Peter Pan films. We haven't seen many little mermaid films. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm, I'm, I'm into it in that, that fashion. Um, but they are what they are. They're cash grabs. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, my rant is one I've, I definitely have done before. And with the film festivals beginning, we just have to be aware of this stuff. And it's time-standing ovations. And me talking about it is causing another hit on the internet to say time-standing ovations. So um, I'm part of the problem. Hi, it's me. So whatever. Uh, so, like, in terms of these, they're beyond ridiculous, the time-standing ovations. Like, we find out this film got a seven-minute standing ovation. This film got a nine-minute standing ovation. First of all, standing and clapping for nine to ten minutes is bonkers. I don't care how good the movie is. With the exception of Pan's Labyrinth, who has the longest standing ovation at 22 minutes, I would stand up and clap for 22 minutes on Pan's Labyrinth. That movie is freaking dope. But like to stand up for that long and clap seems like it would be absolute. I can't imagine standing there and clapping for 22 minutes or for 15 minutes or even for like eight minutes. Like that that seems bonkers in itself. But then people are treating these like rotten tomato scores. Well, Indiana Jones only got a six minute standing ovation, while Killers of the Flower Moon got a ten minute standing ovation. First of all, Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm sure a lot of people took off to take a freaking piss during that damn movie because it's four hours long. So already that's part of the problem right there. Is you know like the reason that standing ovation didn't go that long is because they needed to get out of there to pee. But I I just think that like these these are being judged way too much. And it's getting problematic. The filmmaker's there. So all of Hollywood is obviously going to stand up and kiss ass and like, you know, do that long standing ovation. The actors are there. So they're going to do that as well. There's beautiful moments. Brendan Fraser had a long standing ovation after The Whale. Um, Lily Gladstone was like, you know, highlighted in the standing ovation for uh, this movie. So there, there are nice moments in these, but people are tracking them way too much. And I'm getting just so many reports of so many different long ones. And, you know, like, don't worry, darling, got a seven minute standing ovation. So these are not like, <laughs> these are like, film festivals are a little bit out of control with these. And, you know, they got to be there. You're on mute. I literally just looked up Don't Worry Darling's um, standing ovation. Uh, the the top ones were Pan's Labyrinth at 22. This is all it can. Fahrenheit 9-11 was 20 minutes. Mud was 18 minutes. The Neon Demon, which I've never heard of before in my life, was 17 minutes. And the Paperboy was 15 minutes. Oh, I love the Paperboy one. That one is just amazing. <laughs> it's for the stars that were in it, I think. Definitely. <laughs> like, um, yeah, let's go these- for... They're, they're bullshit. No, I, I was closing it off. They are bullshit. Try to avoid those articles when you see them come out. Or if you comment on them or comment on them like on a podcast right now, they'll get more attention and they'll constantly be reported on. So once again, hi, it's me, problem. Go Aaron's Hi, me. I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, let's do raves. My rave is very simple. It is that <laughs> I love bubbly water. <laughs> I am drinking it right now. It is my favorite. Uh, and I was getting really frustrated that there, uh, the options when you go to the movie theater are you can get an icy or you can get soda or you can get a gigantic bottle of water. Now Regal Cinemas has started carrying bubblies and it is amazing, as has the lo- have the local theaters uh, that are run by the Philadelphia Film Society that we do a lot of our screenings at. They have them as well. It is wonderful. It feeds my addiction to bubbly seltzer water. And I am very excited to be able to uh, continue to enjoy them during some of these screenings. Yeah, I still just get Diet Coke or booze. So, uh, or booze. <laughs> they put some local beers in the theater now, so I'm pretty sad. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh, baby. Um, so, my. Halfway through range... the Flash, you're going to be all fucked up. <laughs> oh, you better believe I'm getting two for the Flash. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, my rave is going to be uh, I, I've talked about this podcast before, uh, The Town uh, with Matt Bellamy. First of all, it's a great podcast on its own right. It talks about the business of Hollywood. Like they get into the DeSantis stuff. They get into streaming. Um, they get into a lot of the different uh, aspects of this. They've recently been doing a lot of uh, podcasts on the writer's strike naturally. And they've had people on there. Matt Bellamy is obviously on the side of the writers as most, you know, like people are. But um, he does like play devil's advocate a lot in a very respectful manner that is just really good. It's a 30 minute podcast that shows up once or twice a week. Um, It's really just like a great like Hollywood business insider because, you know, I don't know business shit at all. Like um, and so like I like to get that corner of him from there. I mean, and his like takes on movies are also like pretty horrible, as he admits. Like he's like, I'm not a critic. My movie taste sucks. I'm here to talk about the business of each one of these. And he always does a prediction of like the box office reports at the end, uh, the call sheet, he calls it. And uh, it's, it's fun to watch him like squirm on whether or not he's right. He's usually right. But um, it's, it's, it's a great podcast. It's a lot of fun. 
people that do box office predictions just always surprise me like or amaze me i should say i don't understand how they do it well i don't like the lines that they set up anymore because what like fast and furious their like line was like you know oh yeah we're expected about 60 million dollars i'm like well, you're going to go over that, dude. You're setting the bar way too low. And it's starting to piss me off that they're going like, oh, it was better than we expected. It's like, fuck Safe you. bets. Like, yeah, I hate that bullshit. Like, <laughs> All right, let's talk about what's coming out this week. We have The Little Mermaid in theaters, About My Father in theaters, Kandahar in theaters, The Machine in theaters, and You Hurt My Feelings in theaters. Uh, my Little Mermaid review went up today. Sean, you're seeing it Thursday. I assume Friday will be the review. That will be our movie for next week as well. Um, and then you hurt my feelings. I'll have my review up tomorrow for that one. I love it. Spoiler I alert. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait to see that one. Is that playing in your area? It is. But, you know, of course, I'm going to be on the Cape this Memorial Day weekend. So I'll have to wait until next oh, week. Of to course. See. The Massachusetts oh, boy. You know, really tough life for me. Like my folks have a house on the Cape. <laughs> house. house. <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Um, all right, Sean. Talk to you soon. Later. The Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between Math Teacher Movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.